June twelfth, nineteen forty-two. I hope I will be able to confide everything to you, as I have never been able to confide in anyone, and I hope you will be a great source of comfort and support. Comment edited by Anne on September twenty-eighth, nineteen forty-two. So far, you truly have been a great source of comfort to me, and so has Kitty, whom I now write to regularly. This way of keeping a diary is much nicer, and now I can hardly wait for those moments when I am able to write in you. Oh, I'm so glad I brought you along. Sunday, June fourteenth, nineteen forty-two. I'll begin from the moment I got you, the moment I saw you lying on the table among my other birthday presents. On Friday, June twelfth, I was awake at six o'clock, which isn't surprising, since it was my birthday. But I'm not allowed to get up at that hour, so I had to control my curiosity until quarter to seven. When I couldn't wait any longer, I went to the dining room, where Morja the cat welcomed me by rubbing against my legs. A little after seven, I went to Daddy and Mama, and then to the living room to open my presents. And you were the first thing I saw. Maybe one of my nicest presents. Then a bouquet of roses, some peonies, and a potted plant. From Daddy and Mama, I got a blue blouse, a game, a bottle of grape juice, which to my mind tastes a bit like wine, a puzzle, a jar of cold cream, two point five guilders, and a gift certificate for two books. I got another book as well, Camera Obscura, a platter of homemade cookies. Lots of candy and a strawberry tart from Mother, and a letter from Grammy, right on time. But of course, that was just a coincidence. Then Hanelli came to pick me up, and we went to school. During recess, I passed out cookies to my teachers and my class, and then it was time to get back to work. I didn't arrive home until five, since I went to gym with the rest of the class. As it was my birthday, I got to decide which game my classmates would play, and I chose volleyball. Afterward, they all danced around me in a circle and sang "Happy Birthday." When I got home, Sam Lederman was already there. Ilse Wagner, Hanelli Gosler, and Jacqueline Van Marsen came home with me after gym, since we're in the same class. Hanelli and Sam used to be my two best friends. People who saw us together used to say, "There goes Anne, Han, and Sam." I only met Jacqueline Van Marsen when I started at the Jewish Lyceum, and now she's my best friend. Ilsa is Hanelli's best friend, and Sam goes to another school and has friends there. They gave me a beautiful book, Dutch Sasser's Elisens, but they gave me Volume Two by mistake, so I exchanged two other books for Volume One. Aunt Helen brought me a puzzle, Aunt Stephanie a darling brooch, and Aunt Lenny a terrific book, Daisy Goes to the Mountains. This morning I lay in the bathtub thinking how wonderful it would be. If I had a dog like Rin Tin Tin, I'd call him Rin Tin Tin too, and I'd take him to school with me, where he could stay in the janitor's room or by the bicycle racks when the weather was good. Monday, June fifteenth, nineteen forty-two. I had my birthday party on Sunday afternoon. The Rin Tin Tin movie was a big hit with my classmates. I got two brooches, a bookmark, and two books. I'll start by saying a few things about my school and my class. Beginning with the students, Betty Blumendahl looks kind of poor, and I think she probably is. She lives on some obscure street in West Amsterdam, and none of us know where it is. She does very well at school, but that's because she works so hard, not because she's so smart. She's pretty quiet. 
Jacqueline Van Marsen is supposedly my best friend, but I've never had a real friend. At first, I thought Jack would be one, but I was badly mistaken. DQ is a very nervous girl who is always forgetting things, so the teachers keep assigning her extra homework as punishment. She's very kind, especially to GZ. ES talks so much it isn't funny. She's always touching your hair or fiddling with your buttons when she asks you something. They say she can't stand me, but I don't care since I don't like her much either. Henny Metz is a nice girl with a cheerful disposition, except that she talks in a loud voice and is really childish when we're playing outdoors. Unfortunately, Henny has a girlfriend named Beppy who's a bad influence on her because she's dirty and vulgar. Jr. I would write a whole book about her. Jay is a detestable, sneaky, stuck-up, two-faced gossip who thinks she's so grown up. She's really got Jack under her spell, and that's a shame. Jay is easily offended, bursts into tears at the slightest thing, and to top it all off, is a terrible show-off. Miss Jay always has to be right. She's very rich and has a closet full of the most adorable dresses that are way too old for her. She thinks she's gorgeous, but she's not. Jay and I can't stand each other. Ilza Wagner is a nice girl with a cheerful disposition, but she's extremely finicky and can spend hours moaning and groaning about something. Ilza likes me a lot. She's very smart but lazy. Hanelli Gosler, or Lies as she's called at school, is a bit on the strange side. She's usually shy, outspoken at home, but reserved around other people. She blabs whatever you tell her to her mother, but she says what she thinks. And lately, I've come to appreciate her a great deal. Nanny Van Prague Sigger is more funny and sensible. I think she's nice. She's pretty smart. There isn't much else you can say about Nanny. Asher the John is, in my opinion, terrific. Though she's only twelve, she's quite the lady. She acts as if I were a baby. She's also very helpful, and I like her. Gisad is the prettiest girl in our class. She has a nice face, but is kind of dumb. I think they're going to hold her back a year, but of course I haven't told her that. Comment added by Anne at a later date. To my great surprise, G Set wasn't held back a year after all, and sitting next to G Set is the last of us twelve girls. Me. There's a lot to be said about the boys, or maybe not so much after all. Morris Costa is one of my many admirers, but pretty much of a pest. Sally Springer has a filthy mind, and rumor has it that he's gone all the way. Still, I think he's terrific because he's very funny. Emil Bonwit is Gisette's admirer, but she doesn't care. He's pretty boring. Rob Cohen used to be in love with me too, but I can't stand him anymore. He's an obnoxious, two-faced, lying, sniffling little goof who has an awfully high opinion of himself. Max Van der Velde is a farm boy from Medeblik, but eminently suitable, as Margot would say. Herman Koopman also has a filthy mind. Just like Joffy the Bear, who's a terrible flirt and absolutely girl crazy, Leo Bloom is Joffy the Bear's best friend, but has been ruined by his dirty mind. Albert the Mosquito came from the Montessori school and skipped a grade. He's really smart. Leo Slager came from the same school, but isn't that smart? Ruth Stoppelman is a short, goofy boy from Almelo who transferred to this school in the middle of the year. C N does whatever he's not supposed to. Jack Kosenut sits behind us, next to C, and we laugh ourselves silly. Harry Shap is the most decent boy in our class. He's nice. 
Werner Joseph is nice too, but all the changes taking place lately have made him too quiet. So he seems boring. Sam Salomon is one of those tough guys from across the tracks, a real brat. Appy Ream is pretty orthodox, but a brat too. Saturday, June twentieth, nineteen forty-two. Writing in the diary is a really strange experience for someone like me. Not only because I've never written anything before, but also because it seems to me that later on neither I nor anyone else will be interested in the musings of a thirteen-year-old schoolgirl. Oh well, it doesn't matter. I feel like writing, and I have an even greater need to get all kinds of things off my chest. Paper has more patience than people. I thought of this saying on one of those days when I was feeling a little depressed and was sitting at home with my chin in my hands, bored and listless, wondering whether to stay in or go out. I finally stayed where I was, brooding. Yes, paper does have more patience. And since I'm not planning to let anyone else read this stiff-back notebook, grandly referred to as a diary, unless I should ever find a real friend, it probably won't make a bit of difference. Now I'm back to the point that prompted me to keep a diary in the first place. I don't have a friend. Let me put it more clearly: since no one will believe that a thirteen-year-old girl is completely alone in the world, and I'm not. I have loving parents and a sixteen-year-old sister, and there are about thirty people I can call friends. I have a throng of admirers who can't keep their adoring eyes off me, and who sometimes have to resort to using a broken pocket mirror to try and catch a glimpse of me in the classroom. I have a family, lovely aunts, and a good home. No, on the surface, I seem to have everything except my one true friend. All I think about when I'm with friends is having a good time. I can't bring myself to talk about anything but ordinary, everyday things. We don't seem to be able to get any closer, and that's the problem. Maybe it's my fault that we don't confide in each other. In any case, that's just how things are, and unfortunately, they're not liable to change. This is why I've started the diary to enhance the image of this long-awaited friend in my imagination. I don't want to jot down the facts in this diary the way most people would do, but I want the diary to be my friend, and I'm going to call this friend Kitty. Since no one would understand a word of my stories to Kitty, if I were to plunge right in, I'd rather provide a brief sketch of my life, much as I dislike doing so. My father, the most adorable father I've ever seen, didn't marry my mother until he was thirty-six and she was twenty-five. My sister Margaret. Was born in Frankfurt and Maine in Germany in 1926. I was born on June 12, 1929. I lived in Frankfurt until I was four. Because we're Jewish, my father immigrated to Holland in 1933 when he became the managing director of the Dutch Opeka Company, which manufactures products used in making jam. My mother, Edith Hollander Frank, went with him to Holland in September. While Margaret and I were sent to Aachen to stay with our grandmother, Margaret went to Holland in December, and I followed in February, when I was plunked down on the table as a birthday present for Margaret. I started right away at the Montessori Nursery School. I stayed there until I was six, at which time I started first grade. In sixth grade, my teacher was Mrs. Cooperus, the principal. At the end of the year, we were both in tears as we said a heartbreaking farewell. Because I'd been accepted at the Jewish Lyceum, where Margaret also went to school, our lives were not without anxiety. 
since our relatives in Germany were suffering under Hitler's anti-Jewish laws. After the pogroms in 1938, my two uncles fled Germany, finding safe refuge in North America. My elderly grandmother came to live with us. She was 73 years old at the time. After May 1940, the good times were few and far between. First, there was the war, then the capitulation, and then the arrival of the Germans, which is when the trouble started for the Jews. Our freedom was severely restricted by a series of anti-Jewish decrees. Jews were required to wear a yellow star. Jews were required to turn in their bicycles. Jews were forbidden to use street cars. Jews were forbidden to ride in cars, even their own. Jews were required to do their shopping between three and five p.m. Jews were required to frequent only Jewish-owned barbershops and beauty parlors. Jews were forbidden to be out on the streets between eight p.m. and six a.m. Jews were forbidden to attend theaters, movies, or any other forms of entertainment. Jews were forbidden to use swimming pools, tennis courts, hockey fields, or any other athletic fields. Jews were forbidden to go rowing. Jews were forbidden to take part in any athletic activity in public. Jews were forbidden to sit in their gardens or those of their friend after 8 p.m. Jews were forbidden to visit Christians in their homes. Jews were required to attend Jewish schools, etc. You couldn't do this and you couldn't do that, but life went on. Jack always said to me, "I don't dare do anything anymore because I'm afraid it's not allowed." In the summer of 1941, Grandma got sick and had to have an operation, so my birthday passed with little celebration. In the summer of 1940, we didn't do much for my birthday either, since the fighting had just ended in Holland. Grandma died in January 1942. No one knows how often I think of her and still love her. This birthday celebration in 1942 was intended to make up for the others, and Grandma's candle was lit along with the rest. The four of us are still doing well, and that brings me to the present date of June twentieth, nineteen forty-two, and a solemn dedication of my diary. Saturday, June twentieth, nineteen forty-two. Dearest Kitty, let me get started right away. It's nice and quiet now. Father and mother are out, and Margaret has gone to play ping pong with some other young people at a friend Tree's. I've been playing a lot of ping pong myself lately. So much that five of us girls have formed a club. It's called the Little Dipper Minus Two. A really silly name, but it's based on a mistake. We wanted to give our club a special name, and because there were five of us, we came up with the idea of the Little Dipper. We thought it consisted of five stars, but we turned out to be wrong. It has seven, like the Big Dipper, which explains the minus two. Ilse Wagner has a ping pong set. And the Wagners let us play in their big dining room whenever we want. Since we five ping pong players like ice cream, especially in the summer, and since you get hot playing ping pong, our games usually end with a visit to the nearest ice cream parlor that allows Jews either Oasis or Delphi. We've long since stopped hunting around for our purses or money. Most of the time, it's too busy in Oasis that we manage to find a new generous young man of our acquaintance or an admirer to offer us more ice cream than we could eat in a week. You're probably a little surprised to hear me talking about admirers at such a tender age. Unfortunately or not, as the case may be, this vice seems to be rampant in our school. 
As soon as the boy asks if he can bicycle home with me, and we get to talking, nine times out of ten, I can be sure he'll become enamored on the spot and won't let me out of his sight for a second. His ardor eventually cools, especially since I ignore his passionate glances and pedal blithely on my way. If it gets so bad that they start rambling on about asking father's permission, I swerve slightly on my bike. My school bag falls, and a young man feels obliged to get off his bike and hand me the bag. By which time, I've switched the conversation to another topic. These are the most innocent types. Of course, there are those who blow you kisses or try to take hold of your arm, but they are definitely knocking on the wrong door. I get off my bike and either refuse to make further use of their company or act as if I'm insulted and tell them in no uncertain terms to go on home without me. There you are. We've now laid the basis for our friendship. Until tomorrow, yours Anne. Lyceum. Lyceum. Now, a place where educational talks were given to the public. Finicky. Finicky. Adjective, of a person, fussy about their needs or requirements. Eminently, eminently, adverb, to a notable degree, very.